It's the tipping point, and it's why a lot of the biochemical literature, like the animal-based toxicology literature, is wrong. People get TH2 dominant. Everything they eat is sending them into tizzy, yet they're getting an infection and the body's ignoring it. Raising up their NAD levels before he poisoned them with the methylmercury, there was no damage at all. It's probably the most universal fixer-upper for us. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Today's episode, we are back with Dr. Chris Shade. We had a really, really popular episode all about mercury toxicity previously on this podcast. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash NAD. And you really want to check out those show notes because I am so excited to announce that from here on out, the show notes will include transcripts. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while because I personally have benefited from reading transcripts from other podcasts, but this episode was so intense that I just realized it had to happen. So definitely check out the show notes for that. Dr. Shade is just such a wealth of information. He's the founder of Quicksilver Scientific. Once we hung up that other call, I knew I had to bring him back on. After that original call, he actually sent me some NMN to try, which is the precursor to NAD. And this was actually all at the time I had just started researching and appreciating the importance of NAD, especially given the work of David Sinclair, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, a lot of other podcasts I've been listening to. It was just perfect timing. Guys, I've started supplementing with NMN and insane, just (laughs) insane. We talk about it more in the episode, so I will stop there, but I think you will learn a lot in this episode. It is deep. It's probably the deepest dive I've had yet on this podcast, which I know is saying a lot. I did try throughout the episode to recap and synthesize it and make it slightly more digestible. So if you're a huge science geek biohacker, it totally may be your language already. If not, don't worry, keep listening because we do talk it out, but there's so much valuable information in here. I just, I love it. And if you do want to try any of the Quicksilver products after listening to this, definitely use the link melanieavalon.com slash Quicksilver. Using that link will get you 10% off any of the products. All right. So without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Chris Shade. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. So actually, this is a first for this podcast. I am back with a repeat guest. So this is a first time, so you should be honored. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm here with Dr. Chris Shade. He's the founder of Quicksilver Scientific, and we had a very, very popular episode. We went on to a lot of topics, but we really discussed mercury toxicity and detoxing and dealing with all of that. It was really fascinating, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. And Dr. Shade, he did go into his background pretty detailed in that episode, so definitely check it out. Dr. Shade, would you like to briefly tell listeners, for new listeners who haven't listened to that, a little bit about yourself and what brought you to Quicksilver Scientific? 
Yeah, you know, that's always a long and rambling episode as I, you know, start back from birth and move through. But, you know, I was born in a sort of reductionist scientific academic family. I went into environmental chemistry. I was kind of disillusioned with that. I went out, became an organic farmer, and I was really obsessed with natural cycles and ecology of the soil and everything that went into that. But it was a little before my time. I joked that I went out of business as an organic farmer the year that Whole Foods came into business. And that redirected me into a couple of things, but that got me into academics. I got a master's and a PhD in the environmental chemistry, first of agricultural nutrients, and then I went into the environmental chemistry of metals with particular focus in mercury. And as part of that, I developed what's called a mercury speciation analysis, where you're separating different forms of mercury. And we use that to look at blood, hair, and urine to look at the disposition, uh, both the types of mercury in you, their transformations, and how you excrete them. And, you know, that was technology for my PhD applied into clinical testing. And then I got involved in how do you get this stuff out of you? And at the time, I thought I would just use the chelators that were out there like DMSA and DMPS. And I tried those and they got me pretty well sicker and sicker and sicker. And so I wanted to understand a lot more of how the body's really supposed to deal with toxins and how it's supposed to get rid of them. And so that led me to understanding how the glutathione system works and how the general detoxification system works and making a supplement systems designed to amplify that and get things out. And to make that really work, I had to make a specialized delivery system. So a delivery system is a way you get something from out of your body to inside and into the blood. And like a capsule is the delivery system, a liquid is. But we had to get to specialized things called, it's a family of particles actually called lipid nanoparticles. And that includes liposomes, which you use, they're like tiny little cells made out of phosphatidylcholine and you use them to deliver water-soluble nutrients because they can passively diffuse through the oral cavity and upper GI right into circulation. And then for fat solubles, we use nanoemulsions. They're like little oil droplets wrapped in phosphatidylcholine, and we use those for things like vitamin D or CBD. And we got so good at those delivery systems, and we got so good at handling detoxification using these delivery systems that we started looking into other problems and other aspects of health. And most recently, we're very obsessed with metabolism and clean metabolism and bioenergetics, including what will be kind of the core of today's discussion, raising NAD levels. Oh my goodness, so much there. I remember this happened last time. I was like, so many things. Friends, this is why we needed a part two. (laughs) So much to unpack. Yeah, because the first episode was going to be about mercury and then there was just so many potential rabbit holes to go on. Okay, so to start things off, This is like a very basic question, but I would like to get your general idea on it. Detox is discussed so much, you know, from so many sources, how to properly detox, you know, what's the right protocol to go on. I'm often so torn between wanting to be really natural and intuitive. Like my body should be able to just detox naturally. On the other side, I'm like, no, I need to do all the things perfectly to make detox perfect. How should one approach this idea of detox? Are our bodies capable of adequately detoxing or do we really need to use 
you know, supplements and such to get things going correctly. Right. And so, you know, as one of my old spiritual teachers said regarding your, is it this, is it totally natural or is it totally controlled? It's both. And you should start with a detox protocol. One of the different protocols that we put together because it addresses all the different aspects of detoxification. But as you go through, I always say to people, they should do a formal detox and then they should start incorporating detoxification into their lifestyle. And the formal really shows you the way and it hits every aspect that needs to be hit and ensures that everything's going to happen. Now, along the way of doing that, you're going to generate a more intuitive understanding of which parts of that are the most important. Is it using bitters and PC to activate the bile flow? And you find whenever you take those bitters, wow, you just feel really good. That's a big thing for me. Other people will be like, you know what? Whenever I take that glutathione, it just lights me up, meaning they're deficient in glutathione. And so you're going to find what it is that you really need to do that you need more help with than, say, one other person. So if there's five things you got to hit, we'll hit all five in a formal protocol. But then over time, you'll figure out that three of those are really big for you and one of them is crucial. And you're going to start integrating that into your life that way. In fact, in our, our sort of application to health, we say restore, maintain, advance. And restore will be systematically removing toxins, microbes through these protocols. Maintain is once you've figured out, you know what, these three things are really important for me all the time. And you integrate them into your life on some intermittent schedule. And then advance is where we're trying to take everything to a higher level. And that's really where we're getting to today is things like AMPK activation and NAD levels. So does that help you with that? Yeah, it does. And actually, so speaking to that, because you're talking about how you feel after these things, which ties into, okay, so many things as far as your intuitive response. For example, you're talking about at the beginning, detoxing from mercury with these pharmaceutical agents, you know, DMPS, DMSA. So for listeners who are unfamiliar, I personally struggled with extreme mercury toxicity, very extreme. And I did a run, a very long run of pharmaceutical chelation. And at the time, and the way this ties into the intuition thing, and my confusion <laughs> is at the time when I would do these, you know, detox agents, they made me feel really good. Like while I was detoxing, but I feel like since then I sort of, I don't want to say wrecked myself because I feel like I'm always, you know, getting stronger and stronger, but trying to heal. But it's like you said, with your experience, it definitely did a number on me. And then that's where I struggle with this idea of how to interpret reaction to things. And then, for example, you talked about AMPK activators and after our last discussion, you were so kind. You sent me, well, A, you sent me the Mercury Tri Test, which listeners, I am now making that my go to recommendation for testing your mercury levels or your mercury toxicity status because I've realized, especially from my own research and then talking with Dr. Shade, how severely misleading conventional mercury testing might be. So if you want to check your mercury status, definitely get that kit. I'll have links to everything in the show notes. Now I'm on so many tangents. Anyways. <laughs> One of the things you're getting at is, you know, tying together intuitive and organized. 
And so I would say, you know, while you were doing your chelators, you were feeling better, but then you crashed afterward because that's the, the myopic aspect of the chelators is they do bind mercury. And so when you're in, a, in an acute toxicity stage, they can pull some of that away, but they're not supporting the healing of your detoxification system. And that's the liver and its interaction with, or its coupling to bile flow and the GI being able to move things out and also the function of the kidneys. And so while they might bind up some of the mercury, they're not increasing the body's resilience to the mercury that's left. And the, and the myopic part is people think, oh, there's this mercury here and it's causing all of my problems, but why was the mercury there? I mean, I would doubt that you were more exposed than a lot of other people, but the combination between your exposure level and your body's ability to resist the attack of the metal, both at a cellular level, meaning it's cellular antioxidant defenses, and a systemic level, meaning the liver and kidneys' ability to filter out the blood levels and keep those down. That was not working very well. And so you were very susceptible to the toxicity of the mercury. The DMSA helped you, but that was not coupled to things that would fix the overall detox system so that it couldn't just take that out and then leave you down on the ground and you're good to fend for yourself after that. Yeah, I definitely learned so much from the experience. People often ask me now, they're like, what should I do? You know, how should I address mercury toxicity? And I'm like, I have learned a lot. Think long and hard before you go the pharmaceutical chelation route because I I don't know that I would do that again or at least not to the extent that I did. I mean, we tell people you start with ours and if you want to overlay some DMSA or DMPS, you can do that. And Hal Huggins used to do that with our stuff and Hyman's group does that. But you have to start with rehabilitation of the detoxification and antioxidant system with special focus on the glutathione aspects. And then you can put a little quickening agent on top in the form of the chelators. I like that idea a lot. I like it. And so speaking to things like glutathione and NAD and all of these things, so lots of stuff to tackle. Maybe we could start with just a general overview. And I know it's hard to do general of something that's so, so intense, just a general overview of how how our body actually creates energy and regarding the mitochondria. And because I feel like that's a baseline topic to understand so you can understand how these other things might be affecting energy generation in the body. Sure. And there's actually a lot that'll all come together here, including the mercury stuff. And so how do we make energy? So we make energy in the mitochondria by oxidizing carbon substrates. And those can be lipids or carbohydrates of They're all taken down to chunks that go into the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle. And NAD along the way is doing the oxidizing. So NAD is in two forms. There's the oxidized NAD plus and the reduced NADH. And so at different stages in the Krebs cycle, electrons are coming off of these carbon substrates and onto the NAD along with a hydrogen. And so that NAD is turning to NADH and in the process oxidizing or stripping away those carbon substrates. Then that NADH is taken into oxidative phosphorylation, also known as the electron transport chain, where it dumps off the 
electrons and hydrogen. And they run through a series of high-energy handoffs along the electron transport chain. The hydrogen now as the form of a proton is pushed outside of the membrane of the mitochondria or the outside of the inner membrane until it builds up enough to come slingshotting back through ATP synthase and generate ATP. So energy is coming off of the carbon. Remember, that was originally from the sun. It's coming off of the carbon, going through the electron transport chain, driving this movement of protons that then turns over ATP generation. And in the process, the NAD has become NADH, and then it goes back to NAD, and it goes back over to grab more electrons from more carbon substrates. And so that's pretty cool. Now, if you're low on NAD, or if it's heavily in the reduced form, now you're not going to be able to oxidize those substrates so well. And instead of burning up energy, you are going to start to store it more as fat, thinking that maybe later you can burn it up. So what gets in the way of that? So naturally, not having enough NAD gets in the way of that. But there's a bigger problem, and it's also related to NAD, and it's called decoupling of the electron transport chain. So in the electron transport chain, there's all these proteins that are assembled together into this chain. And when we think of proteins being made of the cell, we think of a gene in the nucleus being transcribed and turned on to RNA and then it going out to a ribosome and you make that protein. And we think all of our genes are in the nucleus, but the mitochondria has genes of its own. And in fact, 13 of the subunits of the electron transport chain are encoded within the mitochondria. And so the mitochondria has to make exactly the same number of protein units as the nucleus is making so that when they come into the mitochondria and get all zipped together, everything is in balance. But what happens over time as we age is that the mitochondrial DNA is not turning over, it's not being replicated fast or not being transcribed fast enough, and it's not making enough of these subunits. It's They've got to be made in what's called a stoichiometric equivalent like a one-to-one equivalent. But then all of a sudden, you're only getting half a unit out from the mitochondria and a whole unit from the nucleus. And when they assemble the electron transport chain, something's missing. So these electrons go in and they're zipping along these handoffs. And all of a sudden, there's something not there to pick it up. It's like a relay race. And the guy's got the baton and there's no one to catch it. And instead, he just throws the baton into the crowd and hits someone over the head. And that is the electrons then spinning out of the transport chain and becoming instead free radicals. And so at that point, you're failing to make ATP, and instead you're making more free radical damage. And so you think, well, why don't they communicate together and make the same number of things? Well, it turns out it's NAD's indirect responsibility to keep them communicating. When the NAD levels are high enough in the nucleus, there is a messenger called TFAM that gets sent out from the nucleus to the mitochondria to ensure that they're on the same page in transcribing units of the electron transport chain. And so that's something that happens with aging is this incomplete oxidation and excess free radical generation. But when you bring the NAD levels up, all of a sudden that's fixed. 
and it's fixed through the agency of something called a sirtuin that is in the nucleus. And sirtuins will come up again and again in this as we talk about NAD and MPK because sirtuins are what we know as one of the longevity genes. And they're a super important one to longevity. And in fact, that sort of came into the parlance around when Sinclair found resveratrol because resveratrol is a sirtuin activating compound. And so it was like, oh, well, resveratrol can make us live longer by sirtuin activation. But sirtuins can't be activated properly unless NAD levels are high enough. And in fact, there's two different things that happen regarding NAD and mitochondrial efficiency. The first of one we just talked about, and that's having the stoichiometric equivalence in the electron transport chain. And then there's a second one, and that's the activation of something called PGC1-alpha. And PGC1-alpha then stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis, which is creating more mitochondria and more mitochondrial density within a cell. And so when is one or the other of these processes going to happen? When you're in a fed state, so this is going to come down to fed and fasted, we'll be talking about keto and fasting. And in the keto state and the fasted state, you have something called AMPK activation. And AMPK activation starts PGC1-alpha's activation to make mitochondrial biogenesis, but then it is finished by NAD activating a sirtuin to deacetylate the PGC1A and enable mitochondrial biogenesis. So assuming there's enough NAD during fasted or keto states, you stimulate more mitochondria to be made. But during the fed state, say you have carbohydrates on board, then the NAD is essential for ensuring the equivalency between the nuclear and mitochondrial production of the electron transport chain. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. 
And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full-spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today, we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside, and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full-spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths, and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought... It was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E. 
with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So (laughs) a lot here to unpack. Okay. So for listeners, I'm going to ask some basic questions and try to- We'll go back over all that. I'm going to try to paint like a very basic picture. Can you let me know if this is correct? Yep. So in the mitochondria and this this creation of free radicals and oxidative stress and the dysregulation with the electron transport chain, is that basically occurring because- there is excess fuel that's not being, not either excess fuel or there's fuel not being used properly? Well, it's not being used properly. It's not because you need less fuel. It's because you need more NAD. And the, let's call it a reckless electron transport chain is leading to damage instead of energy. And it gets reckless when the NAD levels are too low to support the communication between the nucleus and the mitochondria. So is it kind of like, have you seen that really famous I Love Lucy scene with the chocolates on the conveyor belt? I have. Now I can't remember all the specifics of it. I guess it's a concept as well. There's all these, the conveyor belt is like constantly moving. There's the chocolates on the conveyor belt. And then basically Lucy's, she's doing stuff with the chocolates on the conveyor belt, but she gets this point where she can't keep up with the chocolates anymore because she's the one kind of making sure it's all, you know, going correctly. Yeah. But she kind of, be like the NAD in that situation because once she stops, you know, managing and like making sure everything is going correctly with this movement of chocolates, kind of like the movement of energy with the mitochondria. Right. It just gets totally out of hand. So is NAD like making sure that the energy is being used properly without creating these free radicals and oxidative stress, or is it combating the oxidative stress once it occurs? Well, it's doing all of those actually. So NAD1 is ensuring that you're able to oxidize the carbon substrates. And when it goes down, yes, then in that way, there'll be too much carbon substrate. You'll get too much reduced NAD and you're not able to activate the sirtuin to keep the communication control going. So I said no to your first suggestion that too much fuel can do this, but it is true that too much fuel can add to that, especially carbohydrate fuel. But then it's also that when the NAD, the NAD is is providing energy to the nucleus to be able to do the controlling. Okay, gotcha. The reason I was thinking that about too much fuel is I was thinking, well, if I mean, you can't have free radicals if there's nothing to create a free radical. It almost requires fuel for all of this to happen. Yeah. And so uh, too much carb can do that by the NAD. Remember, it's in the NAD plus and the NADH roles, both of them at once. And if you have to oxidize, because you have to oxidize the carbs more than the lipids. And so you're generating more NADH there. Once your NADH levels are going up and you can't get them all through the electron transport chain and they accumulate, they can't activate the sirtuins anymore. It's only NAD plus that does that. Now on the free radical control side, NAD also partitions into something called NADP, 
So NAD, you want primarily oxidized as NAD, not NADH, and it's driving oxidative metabolism. NADP, you want primarily reduced as NADPH, and it's driving reductive metabolism. It's the thing that's re-reducing glutathione when it gets oxidized, ascorbate when it gets oxidized, thyroidoxin when it gets oxidized. So without a high level of the NADPH, you can't keep up with the free radical generation, and the NADPH is in direct relationship to how much NAD there is. Okay, that is fascinating. And now I think I finally understand why, because they always say that carbohydrate or glucose-based diets create more oxidative stress than potentially you know, ketogenic diets. That would make sense what you said about the oxidative potential of carbs versus fats. I have a huge question based on something that you said. You were talking about the genes actually within the mitochondria. So is that what causes the potential changes in mitochondria as to how efficiently they are processing fats versus carbs? Like, you know, people talk about becoming metabolically flexible and then like how your mitochondria have to adjust to different fuel substrates if you make a dietary change. Is it the genes within the mitochondria determining that? Oh, that's a great question, Melanie. Having a lot of AMPK activation is what's stimulating the gene sets for fat metabolism to be expressed more. And that includes gene sets for ketone transport. Now, where are all those gene sets located? Are they on the nucleus? Are they in the mitochondria? And is that one of the problems? And I do not know the answer to that. Yeah, that's so fascinating. But now I'm going to go look. So do list. But I guess a broader question that maybe we can answer or sort of answer. Is it those genes though that is determining that ability of the mitochondria to quote, learn how to, you know, primarily run on a new substrate and then efficiently run on that substrate? Is that tied to the genetic changes in the cell or is it tied to literally a functioning in the cell independent of the genes? No, no. It'll be dependent on, you know, there'll be genes for expressing, say, adipose triglyceride lipase, which is breaking up adipose and, and you know, mobilizing it so you can turn it into ketones. There'll be genes for the transporters for the ketones. All of these are inducible, and it's, I think it's just you haven't been using them, so they're not readily activated. It's almost like they're closed up deep in the book, and you have to open them up. And once you've been using them a lot, you keep them kind of like in the in the short. It's like you keep them on your desktop instead of like buried way deep in a hard drive somewhere. So once you're using genes more often, they become more readily inducible, and you may have them always sort of active to some degree. I think that's really what that's coming down to is that that fat adaptation. That was the thing with keto before six is people seem to fat adapt then within you know, without almost no time at all. I mean, it makes people make ketones in a few hours. And very soon, they seem to be very metabolically flexible. And so there are activators, nuclear transcription factors are sort of master activators for genes. And they, you know, go right into the gene you need and just pull it right out and activate it right away. And so these sort of super activators are the things that you need to get going to get metabolically flexible quickly. And turned out that nutraceuticals delivered in these nanoparticles could induce those really fast, you know, faster than just diet and exercise does. So after our last conversation, you were so kind. You sent me a bottle of your Keto Before Six, which has a lot of AMPK activating compounds. And it's funny because 
So I'm also the co-host of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And on that podcast, we have like a mentality because we have a very large audience who are, you know, very new experienced and people new to intermittent fasting. But we have like kind of like a blanket idea of when you're first trying intermittent fasting, just do, you know, water and black coffee, you know, don't add other things. We call it the quote, clean fast. So my co-host Jim would probably freak out at the idea of (laughs) taking something else that's not water, black coffee while fasting. But so I only talk about it on this podcast. (laughs) Come on, man. It's what you're trying to get, not what you're trying to put in. You're trying to get effect. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you're taking in these compounds, which are actually stimulating all of these pathways, which fasting is stimulating, I think it's a much more complicated picture than does this break my fast or not? You know, just, I think there's a lot going on, but in any case, so I received the bottle of uh, keto before six and my personal experience was, I had like a very intuitive response to it where it was the first time that I took it while fasting because I've had ideas of trying a longer fast in the past, but it's never seemed like possible to me. And I remember the first time I took it, I don't know, something changed. And I was like, you know what? I could probably fast longer with this. So it was a really, really interesting experience. And I've actually been taking it every day and I reordered it twice. (laughs) So I do really appreciate it. So what it has in it has resveratrol, which we discussed. For listeners, we mentioned David Sinclair and his work on resveratrol. I actually did interview him on this podcast. So for listeners, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, Keto Before Six has the resveratrol. It has, yeah, you said berberine, which has amazing effects on, you know, blood sugar, glucose regulation, has the quercetin. It was really kind of nice because it was like two birds with one stone because I'd been taking quercetin separately. I'd been taking, it has milk thistle in it, I believe, separately. And I was like, hey, now I can just get it all. All in one. It has dim too. Yep. I will put a link to all of this in the show notes. I do have a question though about the delivery systems because you were speaking at the beginning about you know, liposomal delivery, liposomes for water soluble versus fat solubles and using the nano emulsions with that. So when taking the compounds in those various states, is that all, because I know for like the supplements, it'll often suggest that you hold it, you know, in your mouth for like 90 seconds or something and then swallowing it. So the absorption of those, is it primarily occurring in the mouth and the GI tract? Can it be absorbed topically? That's a huge question I have. Yeah, you do like to have the topical rapamycin. And yes, all these are true. It absorbs in the mouth. It absorbs in the stomach, in the upper GI. You're trying to fast forward the absorption, and that's why you hold in the mouth, which incidentally, the oral holding is more important for the liposomes, the water-soluble, than the nanoemulsion, but that's a little fine detail. And yes, these can be done topically too. In fact, liposomes are first used in cosmetics, and they can penetrate across the skin layers. In fact, we have a whole series of serums that we're working on right now. So can all of them be done topically? So I've also been taking, I know we talked about your keto before six for PK activation. I also, the big one you sent me that I was, I'm loving beyond belief to go back to NAD is you sent me your NAD gold, which is NMN, a precursor to NAD, which we can discuss I've been experiencing so many benefits from that. Well, that stuff's crazy. Mm-hmm. Building up my NAD levels. And, and doing it, you know, the first thing I was doing for myself was uh, the Keto Before Six. And then I got to doing the NAD. And like, I was so amazed with what Keto Before Six did for me. And then I added in the NAD and I'm like, I cannot believe where I'm at now. I've just noticed a huge change. And it's, I know it's like subjective, but just like a change in my feeling of more resilience and more just energy. 
Yeah, it's not just energy. You know, it's you know, you can eat more different foods and not feel weird after them. You drink coffee and you feel awake from it, not foggy. You know, there's this whole organization of your energy production at a mitochondrial level, an adrenal level, and your immune system and your brain. It's just like wow, it all got zipped up. It was all seemed to be, you know, going, <laughs> falling off the ledge to the right or to the left at any moment, and now it's just like straight down the middle. Yeah. And for listeners, if you're wondering what supports NAD, what depletes NAD, like how do you get to this state of, you know, needing to boost up your NAD? Well, we know stress is a, a huge one for that. And I mean, I can't even imagine with all of my mercury and detox, what I probably did to my NAD levels. Something I found really fascinating about NAD is it's so important in the body that Rhonda Patrick was talking about this was that it's so important and it could, in theory, we could get it from food, but we would never be able to create enough. So that's why there's a whole salvage and like a recycling pathway of it because we just need to be able to use it all the time. But that's why you can take these NAD precursors. The ones people might be familiar with is NR as well as NMN. I always have to say it slow. It's hard to say, which is the one in that NAD gold. Would you like to tell listeners a little bit about the difference between NR and NMN and how they serve as precursors to NAD so listeners can build back up their NAD stores. And actually, right before I do that, let me just go back and round out something you were just saying about how NAD levels go down. And I want to tie it back into the mercury thing, and then we'll talk about how to build it all up. And so what lowers NAD levels and all these things primarily work on the enzymes that are making NAD and damage the enzymes that are making NAD. But any inflammatory processes, infections, and toxins all work to some degree to lower your NAD levels. But there was this cool study where this guy was using these little worms that are used for basic biochemistry and poisoning them with methylmercury. And when he did that, he saw that he damaged the mitochondria. The amount of live mitochondria went down and their activity went down. Now, then when he measured NAD, of course, the methylmercury diminished the NAD levels. Now, how is he going to fix this? What he did was bring the NAD, and there was also a big there was a lowering of glutathione levels and an increase in oxidative damage. So what he did then is he started exposing, raising up their NAD levels before he poisoned them with the methylmercury. And then there was no damage at all because the NAD was keeping the excess, like the supplemental NAD was keeping the glutathione system activated. And then the glutathione system could work out all of the excess mercury, could get rid of it all. And this is where that partitioning of NAD and NADPH is important. The NADPH was keeping glutathione in the reduced state as it was trying to accommodate all the oxidative stress. And the high levels of NAD were able to generate a lot of ATP for the glutathione synthesis and the glutathione conjugation and the toxin transporters all the work. So there's this, you know, when I do my NAD talk, I like using this Bible quote from Matthew. And this guy wrote a book about the Matthew effect. And, and it's this quote that says, to those who have shall be given more and shall have abundance. And to those who have not, even the last bit they have shall be taken away. 
So there's this knife edge sort of below this certain level. You don't have enough NAD to handle the onslaught and everything just goes to hell on you. Whereas above a certain level, you're able to generate more ATP and make more NAD and you're able to recycle more NAD and you're able to make the glutathione that keeps you protected from the environmental stress. And there was even some data showing in there that when the NAD levels were high enough, the methylmercury exposure was actually a hormetic tonic to the worm and strengthened various processes. Whereas when the NAD levels were lower, the methylmercury then was a toxin and killed the worm. That is so fascinating. And I think it can explain or, you know, help us understand so much why people can get in things like, you know, chronic illness situations, because it's like, I was talking actually when I had David Sinclair on about this same thing, like the sirtuins, because we were talking about how you know, when you have this damage, the sirtuins get, you know, they go and kind of like fix things, but sometimes they get actually lost and don't actually come back to where they're supposed to be. And it's like the more damage you experience, the more it just crashes and burns. It so makes sense why people may feel like they're, it's like you can be okay and like be dealing with things. But then once that tipping point happens, like you talked about with like the knife, it's like you can get into this point where when you don't have the resources to recover, then clearly everything's just going to keep getting up. It is. It's the tipping point. And it's why a lot of the biochemical literature, like the animal-based toxicology literature is wrong. You know, they take this completely healthy young mouse and they have to give it like tons of mercury before it gets super, super sick. And then you got some human that's been living and stringing itself along in this screwed up environment and you give it a little bit and it goes over the edge. So true. I've been doing a lot of research on skincare, for example, and all the potential things that we are exposed to in like skincare, cosmetics, makeup, you know, ladies are often putting that on their skin every single day. And it's like all of the testing is, you know, testing for these individual compounds. You know, it's like what happens when we apply this individual compound at one time, you know, on one cell and see what happens in this small amount. It doesn't take into account the fact that you're exposed to multiple compounds. You're exposed to that compound from multiple places. There's the cocktail effect. There's the synergistic effect. It just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And so that's why this is such a sensitive thing and such an important thing to get right. Then that takes us to the, well, how do we get it there? Now, if you're hip to a little bit of vitamin chemistry, you know that NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide and that nicotinamide signifies it as a vitamin B3 form. In fact, it's the super activated, fully composed and brought together elevated version of vitamin B3. And so what are the lower levels of vitamin B3? You've got niacin, nicotinic acid, and then you have a slightly higher level called nicotinamide. Now, how do we make NAD? We can make NAD from those two vitamins, which you can get from food. And if you're not getting any of those vitamins, you can do this longer pathway called the de novo pathway, where you're taking it from tryptophan and amino acid. So taking it from niacin is called the price handler pathway. And eventually, say we take some niacin, we turn it into NAD, and we use the NAD to activate a sirtuin or to repair a gene or CD38, which fixes tight junctions, then it forms nicotinamide. 
And so the broken or the sort of, after you've donated the energy of NAD, your NAM, nicotinamide, then you have the salvage pathway to turn it back into NAD. So why can't we just take lots of vitamin B3? Well, all those stressors, those environmental stressors could just be age, inflammation, toxins, any different stressor. They work on the enzymes that are taking nicotinamide or niacin up to NAD. Now, on its way up to NAD, it has to go to NMN. And it can also go to NR, nicotinamide riboside, which until now was the most popular NAD precursor. And NR becomes NMN, and then it becomes NAD. The enzymes that take NR to NMN or NMN to NAD do not get so affected by environmental stressors. So those are the easiest to drive right into NAD and that happens pretty much without a hitch. So those are the ones that you want and you've got NR and NMN. So why would you use one over the other? Now, you used to use NR over NMN because the guys who sold you NR told you that NMN was too big to get into the cell and there was no transporter to get it in there. Now, when you go into the research world, like Sinclair's world, they had not found the transporter that moves NMN around, cell to cell, into the cell, into the GI from, or into the blood from the GI. They didn't know what was doing it, but they strongly suspected it was being done. And a lot of these guys were doing animal studies with NMN and getting fantastic results in reversing aging in animals that was very consistent with the NAD levels being raised. And so Sinclair always believed there was one, but the guys who make NR kept saying, no, 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 it can't be used. But then last February, 2019, Japanese researcher Imai found the transporter and it was heralded, it was in science, and there was an article from Sinclair saying, ah, at long last, the elusive transporter has been found and it's in the GI tract, it's in the cells, it's everywhere. And indeed, NMN is a great way to raise NAD. And so that's what we used was NMN, and we mixed it with some trimethylglycine, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into talking about methylation, why we need to balance methylation with NAD levels. But we put those two together, and we put them into a nanoliposome to increase their absorption because this stuff is expensive. And even though you have a transporter for it, which means you can absorb it, it doesn't mean that you won't saturate the transporter and not be able to absorb it anymore. And indeed, that's the case. And using the liposome gets our first data set was 4.25 fold increase in bioavailability. So a 425% increase in bioavailability off of just taking an NMN powder. So like Sinclair, he takes a gram of NMN a day. I take 100 to 200 milligrams a day with an occasional 4A into 5 or 600, but generally 1 to 200 milligrams in this liposome and I get all the benefits that I need. I love that so much. And really quick question. Can we measure NAD levels in the body? Sure. Yes, but very difficult thing to do. And so NAD, we have equipment that can do it, but we won't, we're moving from one lab to another. And when we get this over here, we're going to be doing a lot of NAD measurements. And in fact, Joe Mercola is also setting up to do the NAD measurement 
we've been working together on this project to get the, you know, you want to measure NMN, NR, NAD, and he's got a guy who's got a similar machine and he's working it all out. We learned the original techniques from Nady Brady over in Australia. And so we hope to do a lot more measurement, but it's not something that it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go down to LabCorp and get my NAD level measured. It's pretty exciting. Exciting. (laughs) One more quick follow-up question. So given the idea, or now that we know that there is the transporter for NMN, which maybe this is just me, but I feel like, wouldn't it be obvious that there has to be a transporter since NMN was serving as a precursor in the body to NAD or can things serve as... No, the way they were drawing the diagrams was that when you're moving it cell to cell, it moves as NR and then inside the cell, it moves to NMN and then to NAD. And so they didn't understand the mechanism, how you could move it around your body. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're like, well, you move it as NR and then you turn it to NMN and then you turn it to NAD. Okay. Gotcha. Given the fact that we now know there is the transporter, do you prefer NMN over NR? I mean, I know you chose it, but... (laughs) (laughs) The reason is Chromadex that owns the license on using nicotinamide riboside license that to us. They have it tied up and Thorne has the license into the practitioner's market. Now, they used to control the supply of NR, but then the Chinese started making it and supplying it to other people. So I could get it from the Chinese and hope I'm not breaking some use patent that Chromadex has. And they own it. I mean, it was done at Harvard. And so then it was it was sold to Chromadex. And they sell now the true niogen and they sell some stuff through Thorn too. So NMN is what I could, there was no intellectual property around it. So I was able to get that. We're doing deeper studies to see which one is actually more efficacious. I'm sure, you know, if NR turns out to win in some way. Now, see, the thing is NR, now you can't get in a liposome. And so it would have to be, you know, five, six fold better absorbed than NMN to get past, you know, the advantage we have from using the liposome. Plus then there's this really cool advantage in that the body actually traffics different elements of the NAD system in liposomes. And so the cells are actually tuned to, they're called extracellular vesicles. And the cells are actually tuned to recognize vesicles with NMN or NR in them. And so theoretically, they have a higher uptake into the cell. Now, we don't know for sure how all that works, but the body is already trafficking stuff in these little liposomes that are made in the cell. I have a super random, very personal question I'm just wondering about. Using sunflower, how do you say it, lecithin? And yeah, lecithin is the crude stuff that comes out of the oil pressing, and then we refine out of that phosphatidylcholine. Okay, so with the supplements, and this is literally just coming from my insane craziness when I'm researching polyunsaturated fats, like omega-6, omega-3, is that even at all a thing in sunflower lecithin? Like, is it even a hufa or is it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's the same oil as sunflower oil. The, you know, the fatty acids are the same. And so, you know, the one thing, you know, I take so many damn liposomes, you know, I'm like, you know, I need a little bit more omega-3. And so I'll take a little omega-3. And and recently we got phospholipids from krill, which are all omega-3. And we are going to do a little blending of omega-6 and omega-3 phospholipids in making the particles. 
Oh, that would be really exciting because that, that would be like three birds with one stone <laughs> or four birds. It's a flock of geese with one stone. Yeah, I know. All the birds. And then just so I don't forget. So I know I already asked about the topical absorption, but with the NMN, the NAD gold that you make. So could I be using that topically? Yeah, it really works. I've done that for sure. You know, you're not going to slather your whole body with it. It's a little expensive, but you do it around your eyes and it like really tightens things up. The best stuff we have for skin, the C-Lipoic and the NAD Gold are the best too. Glutathione is really good too, especially if you do like a Dermapen. In fact, with any of them, you can do like a Dermapen or something like that, you know, microneedling and do even better. But I just do them topically. The liposomes, you put them on, you, you want to leave them like 15, 20 minutes, and then you can just blot them with a, a hot, wet washcloth and that'll take the, the sticky residue off. Now, the serums that we're making are designed not to have any residue at all. And of course, we have one with NMN in it. Uh, we have C, we have lipoic acid, we have AMPK activators. We have all kinds of cool stuff coming in the topicals range. So make sure to hassle me about getting samples of that. Oh, I will. But with the topical absorption of one of the ones that's intended to be oral absorption, would that just be a local effect or would, could I still get the systemic benefits? A little bit will go systemic, Yeah. You know, we don't know exactly how much and the smaller they are, the more will go systemic. But we definitely have seen that. You know, I was working with the delivery systems with hormones and we were able to see the topical stuff go in pretty quick. Okay. Because well, I know people use like, you know, progesterone creams and things like that, that people can regulate a lot their hormone system. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting systemic from that. Yeah. You're getting, you're getting both. Okay, I might have to do some experimenting here. I need like an unlimited supply of NMM just like everywhere. <laughs> okay, so another question, because you've talked about actually one more NAD, NMM question before we leave that topic. You do formulate it with TMG, and I know that partly relates to concerns about methylation. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Is there a risk of you know burning through your, your methyls with supplementation? Yeah, there's a risk. And it's not a problem at all, though, because you're just going to balance it. And so go back to, you know, reversing your head, you know, five, six years to when MTHFR was all the thing. And everyone was into having, you know, methylfolate, naphthalenic acid. And they would say, oh, but if you overmethylate, then you can just block that with niacin. And there was also this fear that niacin was going to suck all your methyl groups out and you were going to die from undermethylation because methylation was everything and that's all there was. Well, why was this, uh, this relationship between niacin and methyl groups? It's because, if you recall just a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about when you use NAD to activate a sirtuin. There's this high energy bond from the nucleotide going to the sirtuin to turn over the sirtuin and you're left with NAM, nicotinamide, all right? So nicotinamide sticks to the sirtuin is actually a negative regulator of it. It's an inhibitor of the sirtuin. So as long as the NAM, the nicotinamide is stuck there to, to the sirtuin, it's blocking the sirtuin's activity. There are two ways to take it off of there. One is through the salvage pathway where you regenerate NAD from the nicotinamide. The other 
is through methylation of the nicotinamide and then excretion of it. So you're going to pee out the excess. So as we're stressed or as we're older, we're not as good at turning the NAM back into NAD. So instead, we want to methylate it and move it out of the system. This is also why high doses of NAM to drive NAD production can have some other consequences because you're making NAD, but you're inhibiting the sirtuins at the same time. So the most activating way to go is to bring in NMN and then methylate away the NAM. And so people who are just sort of average to good methylators don't really have this problem. They got enough methyl groups around. And we put in a one-to-one ratio of NMN to TMG, and that pretty much holds over you know, your average methylators. But then if you're not so good of a methylator, you're going to need some extra methyl juice to turn the wheels of methylation. And that could be more TMG. And that was what I first started using because TMG is the safest, safest methylation driver. It's like the least safe one, or I don't know if safe, but the easiest one to mess up would be at the top of the pyramid. And that would be methylfolate. But TMG is like at the bottom of the pyramid. It's same thing as betaine that's in your betaine hydrochloride pills. You can take a couple grams of that and it really helps bring down homocysteine, but without, you know, destabilizing things like your folate levels. And so that's what we use. But now I've been using a lot, like for myself, I do a two to one NMN or NAD gold to B12. Now, when I'm talking two to one, I'm not talking a milligram equivalent. I use the NAD gold. I do four pumps of that. And then I do two pumps of our liposomal methyl B12. And that keeps it balanced. And I do that for most people and they do good with that unless they're real strong methylators, then they don't need any. Now, we're also developing one called methyl charge that'll have more TMG, it'll have B12, and it will have B2. Now, the significance of B2 is that B2 drives the methyl transferases. They found that a lot of the people that they thought were folate deficient were actually B2 deficient. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. 
I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. 
It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. Oh, wow. I'm learning so much, especially I personally got the whole MTHFR you know, quote, diagnosis. Although I've heard that like a large, large percent of people have some sort of mutation regarding MTHFR, like 70% or something. I could be wrong in that number. But I remember when I first figured out about that, I started supplementing with methylfolate, methylated vitamins or B vitamins. I don't know. It just always felt like frustrating. I felt like I would too easily tip into the I don't know. Methylation just seems really hard to like address yourself. You know, I think it's because, you know, you're trying to keep your folate levels high and there's a lot of neurological processes that are tied to that. And you're undermethylated, you're tired and depressed, you're overmethylated, you're manic and angry. And, and people would just go back and forth and they'd be like, you know, they'd take 10 milligrams of methylfolate and be like, wow, I feel great. But, you know, and then the next day they'd be trying to kill people. And, you don't have those problems when you're filling it in from the base. When you're giving a good methyl base by having a lot of TMG, you're having good transferase activity by having a lot of B2, and you're not monkeying so hard with the methylfolate directly. Okay, I love that because I started doing the methylated folate and the methylated B vitamins, and I think there's like a reason I didn't keep doing it, even though my homocysteine went down. It just never felt it felt like too much. I get, maybe I was overdoing it. So I love this, this whole, this is a great new perspective to have with all of that. Another question, you mentioned the methylation potential from Tain HCL. Is that like my digestive HCL that I take with my meals? Yeah. Yeah. That's betaine. <laughs> that's methylglycine. And see, you can take grams of that in a day and it doesn't destabilize you. It just gives you a solid base. Is there a potential of taking too much of it? Because I take a lot of that with meals. <laughs> so now I'm just wondering. I mean, there's always a potential, but it's not like methylfolate where you can easily go over. Okay. And then, okay, we keep mentioning glutathione and things like that. I have, have huge, well, I have, I have two like really big questions that I definitely want to get your opinion on. So it ties in a little bit. The idea, because we talked at the beginning about free radicals, oxidative stress, things like antioxidants. What are your thoughts on antioxidants from food addressing oxidative stress and free radicals versus endogenous antioxidants produced by the body? Do you think that taking in exogenous antioxidants, you know, fruits and vegetables, is that having a significant effect on free radicals and oxidative stress or... For the water-soluble portion of your world, the inside of the cell, the outside of the cell... The endogenous antioxidants, glutathione, superoxide dismutase, thyroidoxin, glutaridoxin, those do a great job there. 
bringing in ascorbate helps and you can transfer reducing factors between ascorbate and all those. And, and that's all very good. Now, where you're reliant on food-based antioxidants is inside the membranes. And so there's a lot of lipid peroxide stress that can hit the oily domain of the cell membranes. And there you need carotenoids and tocopherols and tocotrienols, you know, the, the water solubles, vitamin A derivatives and vitamin E derivatives. And that's going to come from your food. In fact, I'm making a, a membrane formula that's got the different omega phospholipids along with astaxanthin and tocotrienol as your membrane-based antioxidants. So again, you're, you're pretty good on your own for the waters, but the fat solubles, they have to come from the foods. Okay, so what's really fascinating about that is I think a lot of people, when they first think antioxidants, food, they think fruit. And based on what you just said, the antioxidants are going to be found you know, vitamin E, fat-soluble antioxidants, that's, you know, like fats. But like carotenoids and stuff, they're going to come from green leafy vegetables, colored vegetables. It can become from colored fruits. But, you know, people think fruit because of vitamin C. You know, the old orange juice is going to replenish your vitamin C thing. Is that the main connection, the vitamin C? Yeah, that's why people think about fruit. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on like the whole carnivore movement and people saying, you know, that that's actually the best way to support antioxidant status with, you know, endogenous glutathione production and endogenous antioxidants. Well, you know, in that whole carnivore world for that all to work, you need to eat, you know, as the carnivore doctor says, nose to tail, you got to eat all the organ meats, you got to probably got to eat the brain too. (laughs) You know, a little plant will take you a long way. They go a little too far with that. And I mean, I like a lot of the concepts in there and plant stuff can be irritating. And yeah, there's phytoalexins and stuff, but hormetically, those are things that are stimulating glutathione production. And so I I am definitely still omnivorous. Now, if you are in some sort of autoimmune challenge and GI challenge, then I would use the carnivore diet as an interventional diet to tone down all the immune hyperactivity. This is perfect. This is going into my next big question that I had. But as far as tampering down the immune activity, is there an aspect of memory to that? So what I mean by that is because people often find themselves, I feel like, in a very disbalanced immune system as far as the Th1 versus Th2 dominance and how you're reacting to foods and how you're reacting to life and just everything. A, can anybody correct this? First of all, what is this imbalance? And can it be addressed? And is there some sort of memory to this whole immune system where maybe you're always going to be just having to live some sort of diet where you're not sparking the immune system? Or is it possible to reset It's a short-term memory. (laughs) And the memory will go away. If you bring things down and calm things down and stop hyperactivating it, it'll be good in three to 12 months in general. And, you know, there may be some longer memory of that and you're easier to trigger back into things, but you just got to let it all settle down and titrate down. My own experience with reactivity to things is that once I got... You know, first the AMPK activation, but then especially when I got that NAD on board, man, my immune system just zipped right up and stopped doing so many weird things. I have heard you talk on previous podcasts. Could you talk briefly about 
for listeners who are not familiar, the difference between TH1 versus TH2 and what that means? Because I know people often hear being TH1 dominant or TH2 dominant. So what is the difference there? We use, you know, in my world, this sort of simplistic definition of it, and it doesn't totally hold up when you get deep into immunology, but the generalization does hold up and it holds up clinically. And TH1 is more antimicrobial attacking. It's things like interferon production that are antiviral. It's your immune vigilance, your ability to kill the invader. TH2 is more related to, as such, it's more related to your innate immune system. TH2 is more related to allergic reactions and acquired immunity, even though that saying that is a little simplistic, but it's more in this allergic reactivity. And when people get TH2 dominant, everything they eat is sending them into tizzy, yet they're getting an infection and the body's ignoring it. And there's viruses all over the place and Lyme is living in there. So they become intolerant of the things that should nurture them, their food and their environment, yet they become tolerant of the things that they should kick out, the parasites and the evil creatures on the inside. So that's called the TH2 shift. Now that happens very quickly in the face of low glutathione. So how is that low glutathione created? It could be created by a high toxic load. It could be created by an infectious load. It could be created by low NAD. So everything at some point comes back to NAD being one of the weak links and one of the pathologies in there, which is why it's probably the most universal fixer-upper for us. And with the glutathione, for both NAD and, well, not NAD, it would be NMN that you'd be supplementing, supplementing with NMN as well as glutathione, is there the risk with either of those of downregulating your body's natural production of the respective compound? There's always this theoretical risk, but you really got to jack high levels into there to downregulate your own production. You know, I haven't seen it doing that with the levels at which we supplement. Now, you know, if you're doing testosterone, yes, you do see that. And so then you have to completely replace those levels. And then when you cycle off of it, you have to stimulate yourself to come back up and make more. But with glutathione and NAD, I have not seen that to be the case. You have to try glutathione supplementation. Oh my God, you have to, have you not? Oh, I can't believe it. So when I was doing chelation with DMPS and IV pushes, I would do glutathione pushes. And that's the only experience that I have with supplementing glutathione. And I mean, that was amazing, the glutathione aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, IVs are great, but they they just don't last as a supplement. So it's the day-to-day, you know, use some liposomes and see what that does for you. The day-to-day is really where it's at. I mean, the IVs are big interventions and they're big punctuations on it, but keeping, keeping that supplementation riding long-term is what really changes things. Okay. Do you take the glutathione daily? No, I used to. I intermittently take it. I take it a couple times a, a, couple times a week. And if I'm traveling, if I've been up drinking with people, I'm going to supplement. If anything's dragging it down, I'm going to supplement it up. And in the earlier stages of like really bringing myself back, I used to take a lot of it. But you know, once you get up to a high level, then your body's making enough. Okay. That's going to be my next one to try and report back on. So that's exciting. 
So one last question, which will lead to the last question. So given all of this, the status of NAD, glutathione, the immune system, all of these things potentially getting depleted or out of whack, what are your thoughts on, is this all something that must be addressed or can be addressed and aided with, you know, these supplements? What role do you think mindset comes into play? Because I know that can People often will address immune intolerances or food sensitivities or things like that with, you know, like DNRS or like, you know, a mindset perspective. Do you think that at all relates to all of this? Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, gratitude, peace, these things change your autonomic nervous system immediately. They put you into a sympathetic state. In the sympathetic state, you start feeding energy into the processes of detoxification, regeneration. I've wanted to do this for a while, but I haven't done it. I do a lot of Tai Chi and I wanted to measure people's glutathione levels before and after weekend retreats. Though we could do that in meditation retreats. There's a number of different ways that we can do that. And I have no doubt at all that levels would go up. And NAD is probably the same. Maybe we'll see it as NADP. Maybe it's just NAD. But we will see these changes. I know Rudy Tanzi and Deepak Chopra have done a lot of work on people before and after retreats, meditation retreats. And they did, they actually split, split a group and just sent them on a vacation and another group to a meditation retreat. And the biochemical changes were stronger in the meditation group than in the retreat, than in the vacation group. But the vacation group did better than the working group. And so mindset is a huge, huge, huge part of our health. I love it so much. Yeah. I recently actually had an episode on tapping. Oh yeah. EFT. Out of all the like therapeutic techniques, I find the most personal benefit from that. And they recently did studies on it. The findings are just shocking on how it affected gene expression. It upregulated like 70 genes after one session related to like longevity. That's great. We actually, at the end of the Tai Chi sessions, we do a tapping session along the major meridians. I'll send you a little video of it at some point. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And if you just integrated that with intention, it would be awesome. Now, at the end of your Tai Chi thing, you're just sitting there in bliss. And so you're you know, tapping the bliss into your, <laughs> into your meridians. But if you wanted a specific intention, you could do that. This was absolutely wonderful. And I said that was the question that brought me to the last question because the last question that I ask every guest on this podcast, which will be the second time I've asked you this, but what is something that you're grateful for? I am grateful to be able to do what I love to do and help so many people and have so many supporting, loving people around me doing that. That is awesome. I love it. It's wonderful when, you know, it's so fulfilling when the work you're doing is something that you're passionate about and is helping others. I mean, that's that ties in everything. It ties in purpose, connection, social support. And then when it's about health. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty lucky that way. I got it all tied together. That is so wonderful. So this has been absolutely amazing. So for listeners, if you are interested in any of the things we talked about, I will put detailed show notes in the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash NAD. And also if you'd like to get any of the Quicksilver scientific products that we talked about or others, there's a ton of products on the website, which I go on there. It's like, like, oh, I want everything. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash Quicksilver and using that link, you can get 10% off. So that is super duper awesome. 
So thank you so much, Dr. Shay. Thank you for being the first, second timer on the podcast. And maybe we can even bring you back for number three. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, like metabolism, and I feel like your new stuff going on there. So I'd love to hear in the future about that. There's just so much. There's so much. There is so much. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Love talking about this stuff. Thank you so much. Hopefully I will talk to you again. Great. Take care, Melanie. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.